0: Shoftim. This is, uh, of course, Shoftim means judges. Um, there is a lot of uh, commandments here regarding um, leadership and judicial action, of course. And like all Torah concepts, of course, there's much here to be applied to one's life, even if you are not a judge or a king or a priest, because our Creator reveals, of course, a lot of. About himself in the scriptures and so the Torah gives a framework for how to live a holy life right but at the same time there's also a framework for how the Israel uh, the Israelites are supposed to govern themselves because human beings get into disagreements and sometimes things need to be worked out and Adonai didn't intend for everyone to do what's right in their own eyes he gave him a little help here a little bit of law and order And so we'll read a little bit from um, this week's Torah portion um, in a couple different spots. But we're going to start in Devarim chapter 17, actually. It's on page 216. If you'd like to follow along, we'll talk a little bit about leadership this morning and just kind of what that looks like in a broad sense. Devarim chapter 17. We're going to start at verse 8 because the Torah up until this point has given us lots and lots of commandments, and now they're sort of settling in onto If you need a little bit of help on uh, living through all this, this is uh, some of your options here. If a case comes before you, this is Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 8. If a case comes before you at your city gate, which is too difficult for you to judge concerning bloodshed, civil suit, injury, or any other issue... You are to get up and go to the place which Adonai, your God, will choose and appear before the Kohanim, the priests, who are the Leviim, the Levites, and the judges in office at the time. Seek their opinion. They will render a verdict for you. You will then act according to what they have told you there in that place which Adonai will choose. You are to um, take care to act according to all their instructions in accordance with the Torah, They teach you that you are to carry out the judgments they render, not turning aside to the right or to the left from the verdict they declare to you. Anyone presumptuous presumptuous enough not to pay attention to the Kohen appointed there to serve Adonai, your God, or to the judge, that person must die. Thus, you will exterminate such wickedness from Israel and all the people will hear about it and be afraid to continue acting presumptuously. Now, it gives something a little bit about a king here, a little bit strange. When you... Have entered the land Adonai your God is giving you, have taken possession of it and are living there, you may say, I want to have a king over me like all our other nations around me. Now, this is a little strange because generally the children of Israel are not supposed to be doing the things like the nations around them. But here, continuing in verse 15, in that event you must appoint a king, you must appoint as king the one whom Adonai your God will choose. He must be one of your kinsmen this king you appointed over you, you are forbidden to appoint a foreigner over you who is not your kinsman. So ultimately they still get a king. It seems uh, that Adonai is a bit reluctant to give them a king, almost as kind of how it reads, but they get a king. So we see a government system here with priests and judges and kings. The structure, of course, is already in place. You remember from... Parsha Yitro, right before the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? Yitro says, tells Moshe, "Um, You're doing all this work yourself, you need to make for yourself. um, Competent men, right? God fearing and honest, and put them in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So that's a lot of leaders. I mean, think about that. Well, if one out of ten people is a judge, and that's what it actually says people who judge, Um, It's right there in the Hebrew. One out of ten people is a lot of people. I mean, think about that on your own street. If there's four or five people that live in a house, that means about every third house has a judge living in it. And so you just think about how many judges would live on your street. I can see probably 20 houses from my front and backyard, maybe more. So I'm probably looking at seven judges I can see just from my own house. And there's probably that many judges on your street and the street over and the street over. And so there's judges all over the place in the system. I mean, everyone would have a judge in their family at least, one out of ten. It's a lot of people judging. I'm not really sure how, uh, you know, the America land of the free, don't tread on me type of person would handle that many judges just everywhere because... I just don't really wrap my mind around that no more. But what that does when you, have, when you saturate the people with that amount, that many people who have that authority, um, it develops a culture, I would assume, that's very law abiding. You know, the Torah not only mandates uh, um, just commandments, but it also mandates that there's a structure of a lot of people who help out and judging. The Torah also guides their behavior as well. If you look back up to the top of that page at the beginning of this week's parasha, um, so that's chapter 16, verse 18, this week's parasha starts out like this. You are appointed judges and officers for all your gates. Adonai, your God, is giving you tribe by tribe, and they are to judge the people with righteous judgment. You are not to distort justice or show favoritism, and you are not to accept a bride. For a gift blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of even the upright. Justice, only justice, you must pursue so that you will live and inherit the land your God, or Adonai, your God, is giving you. It's worth the uh, gifts there blinds the eyes of even the wise, right? And even the upright are in danger of that, of a bribe. So there are uh, the uh, judges... And officers, they're warned. There's warnings here for their uh, behavior. Um, It continues down, too, for the king as well. Um, Near the bottom of the page, chapter 17 there, verse 17. Um, He's actually given some stuff that he's uh, not allowed to do. There's some no-nos for this king. Uh, Maybe verse uh, 16. The king, he is not to acquire many horses for himself or have uh, the people return to Egypt to obtain more horses. And as much as Adonai told you never to go back that way again, likewise, he is not to acquire many wives for himself so that his heart will not turn away, and he is not to acquire excessive quantities of silver and gold. So the Torah gives, starts to begin to rein back some of this leadership here, telling them, listen, here's some things you're not allowed to do, as well as some ethical things to be aware of. But it continues for this king. When he has come to occupy the throne of his kingdom, he is to write a copy of this Torah for himself in a scroll from the one the Kohanim and Livim use. It is to remain with him and he is to read in it every day as long as he lives so that he will learn to fear Adonai as God and keep all the words of this Torah and these laws and obey them so that he will not think he is better than his kinsmen and so that He will not turn aside either to the right or to the left from the mitzvah. In this way, he will prolong his own reign and that of his children in Israel. This should keep a king humble, right? You are not better than your kinsmen. And you are to read Torah every day. That's going to keep him seeking God. You know, a good king that's uh, humble and um, is going to surround himself with elders and sages and prophets. He's going to have that humility and want to learn which means the king's mind is going to be open to revelation, right? Not closed off with uh, pride to where it says, you know, I'm running this place here. I'm in charge. You have to listen to me. That's not the leadership that you read about biblically. This leadership structure, of course, something very local. There would be a lot of people participating in this. And um, when the leadership functions as it's supposed to, Um, The whole community is blessed so much that even the surrounding nations would see that. You remember from Devarim chapter 4, reads in part, Look, I've taught you these laws and rulings, therefore observe them and follow them, for then all the peoples will see you as having wisdom and understanding. When they hear of all these laws, they will say this great nation is surely a wise and understanding people. Very important to have Torah, of course but also to have judges in place all around the community to help facilitate a healthy Torah lifestyle. And this was important so much so that one part of the nation's teshuva, when people would drift, you know how you read through the book of, uh, really, they started drifting and coming back to God constantly. But one great example of when the nation's teshuva was to reestablish courts and judges when they would drift. there's a good example of this in the book of 2 Chronicles. We don't get into the book of 2 Chronicles very much, so I think it's a good idea. Good exercise to get in that today. Turn to page 1201. One of the reasons perhaps we don't get into the book of Chronicles often is because a lot of what is in the book of Chronicles you can find earlier on in the Tanakh, right? That's sort of a summary at times of much of what happens earlier, however, 2 Chronicles chapter 19 is something that is not found in the book of Kings. This particular episode with King Jehoshaphat that we're going to read here in chapter 19 is unique to the book of 2 Chronicles. You're not going to find a reflection of that earlier on in the Tanakh. Jehoshaphat, of course, is the king of the southern kingdom. Chapter 19, verse 1 says, Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Yehuda, returned home to Jerusalem in peace. Yehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and befriend those who hate Adonai? He's getting, the king's getting rebuked here. Because of this, Adonai's anger is upon you. Still, there is some good in you. In that you have removed the sacred poles from the land and have set your heart on seeking God. So, um, the king here is going to try to make a little bit of a, a restoration here, right? So, Yehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem and again circled among the people, circulated among the people from Beersheba to the hills of Ephraim, bringing them back to Adonai, the God of their ancestors. He appointed judges throughout the land and all the fortified cities of Yehuda, city by city. And instructed the judges, think about what you are doing. You are not dispensing justice by merely human standards, but on behalf of Adonai. He is uh, with you when you deliver a verdict. Therefore, let the fear of Adonai be upon you. Be careful what you do. For Adonai, our God, does not allow um, dishonesty, partiality, or bribe-taking. In Yerushalayim, Yehoshaphat appointed some of the Levim and Kohanim, and clan heads of Israel to judge in manners concerning Adonai and in civil cases. After they returned to Yerushalayim, he charged them, here's what you are to do faithfully and wholeheartedly in fear of Adonai. Wholeheartedly there is a love shalom. It's like a, you have to have a heart of peace or a peaceful heart. Literally in the Hebrew, that's what that says. A peaceful heart in fear of Adonai. When an issue comes before you from your brothers who live in their cities, whether it's a case involving bloodshed or a question as to which teaching, mitzvah, law, or ruling applies, you must warn them so that they won't incur guilt towards Adonai and thereby bring anger on both you and your kinsmen. Do this and you won't uh, incur guilt. Armayahu, the chief Kohen, is over you in all matters concerning Adonai. So there's kind of a little division of structure there. They got the chief priest and religious matters. And Yahu, the son of Yishmael, the chief of the house of Yehuda, and all the kings matters. So then they have kind of a king and sort of uh, the civil matters. And the officers of the living at your service, be strong and act, and may Adonai be with the good. So there's a lot of structure in place, not just commandments, but a lot of people that are supposed to have hearts of peace. Right? This... Uh, they should have uh, faith and have a peaceful heart and a fear of God. It sure seems like we don't experience a whole lot of that today, especially from outside of these walls and our a government. Um, and both sides of the aisle have to blame. You don't read in Torah about parties, of course, political parties. But our, you know, the governments that we have today and our leaders sure seems like they fear man and not God. And there's not a lot of peaceful hearts. And there's a general disdain for religion. I mean, you can go on and on, right? There's an embracing of sin, and it's called good by a lot of leaders. Look, we all sin. I sin, right? But I don't, like, celebrate it publicly. But that's the way of the world. Those are people outside of our gates. We still have that duty to faithfulness, peace, and fear of Adonai because not all of us are judges or kohenim or a king, but we all these all concepts all overlap. And of course, who would not want to have a peaceful heart and who does not want to be faithful, right? And on some level, many of us have been leaders in some capacity at one point in our life, whether we are leading a family or a Bible study or at work, teaching downstairs. I mean, leadership looks (laughs) uh, uh, differently in lots of different ways, but there's some basic commonality in that um, people look to you and the way that you lead is going to be a reflection of your faith and a reflection of the creator that you serve. And so that's why there's so many uh, warnings about leadership in the Bible about how they're supposed to behave ethically because if they don't behave that way, that's a bad reflection on the creator that they're supposedly serving. But this, uh, this exhortation for ethics from people continues in um, many places, of course, but we're going to go to the book of James, page 1511, James chapter 2, is, as we continue through the Bible here, is a, um, the believers in Yeshua, of course, are gathering, and they have communities, but yet not much has changed. Because it's still people, and there's still leadership, and there's still elders, and there's still Torah. So, and there's people still need encouragement to do the right thing. (laughs) Not a whole lot changes through time because people are people. That's why we need encouragement, because at times we slip a little bit. James chapter 2 begins like this: My brothers, practice the faith of our Lord Yeshua, uh, the glorious Messiah, without showing favoritism. Right? Favoritism is a big, uh, terrible thing to have if you're a leader. Suppose a man comes in your synagogue wearing gold rings and fancy clothes, and also a poor man comes in dressed in rags. If you show more respect to the man wearing fancy clothes and say to him, have this good seat over here, but then you say to the poor man, oh, you go stand over there or, or sit down on the floor by my feet, then aren't you creating distinctions among yourselves, and haven't you made yourselves into judges with evil motives. It's easy to do. Favoritism is something that that's just a human quality that is something that probably everyone's guilty of showing at one point or another or to one degree or another. But you see how damaging that can be because ultimately there's evil motives there. There's pride. And if you have any kind of leadership position, that's very, very dangerous to have. We are to practice the faith of Yeshua, right, with humility, fairness, and impartiality. It's a good communal elul exercise, I think, to um, ask ourselves are we judging everyone here with justice and impartiality in all the interactions we have and with a peaceful heart? Rabbi Russ Resnick comments on this passage here. He says the synagogue, according to Yaakov, should be the one place where no one has to compete for attention, status, or affirmation, but where we uh, we grant these freely to all. Synagogue is, or should be, the place where the values of appearance and power, so dominant in our culture today, are overturned. Yaakov pictures this outlook as essential to real faith. My brothers and sisters, do not hold the faith of our glorious Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, while showing favoritism, of course. And we need that peace, especially here, because when you get outside these walls, it can be kind of rough out there. The secular world looks down on believers, and our government seems to distance itself from its biblical foundations, unfortunately. This was a conversation I was having with Gregory earlier this week. You know, I'm kind of picking through the Torah portions and trying to meditate on this stuff as the week goes by. And you know Gregory, lives in Muskegon. He's not here today, but I think it was yesterday the day before be called and sometimes we'll just chat about whatever life and I had some of this leadership stuff just swirling around in my mind and I was watching the news and I see some of these politicians and I I just don't understand like we're supposed to have the spirit within us right helping to encourage us to do good and do good deeds and study Torah and have new life within us and I see some of these people the leadership and they're so Passionate for evil and sin, it's almost strange to me. It's as if there's a spirit inside of them. And so I was asking Gregory, what do you think about that? Could they have a bad spirit? I mean, what does this even look like? I'm trying to figure out why some politicians are so excited about sin and evil, especially when a lot of them claim to be religious and go to church. It just seems kind of bizarre to me. That's how we got to the book of First Timothy, and we're gonna close in the book of First Timothy because my friend Gregory said, well, think about this passage from the book in First Timothy. First Timothy chapter four, page fourteen eighty-three. It'll uh, be first Timothy chapter four, page fourteen and eighty-three, when I was asking Gregory about what he thought, um, you know, as I'm lamenting some of my angst with our leadership and uh, this state. He said this, he said, consider 1 Timothy chapter 4. So I turned there and I started to read, and it says, verse 1, the Spirit expressly states that in the Akharit Hayamim, in the end of days, some people will apostatize from faith by paying attention to deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come from the hypocrisy of liars whose own consciousness has been burned as if with a red-hot branding iron. Their conscience has been, like, branded or maybe even hardened. I mean, I thought, oh, I can see that because you have people, if you apostatize, that means you claim to have had faith, right? And you turn away from that faith. And you become a liar. And you're, it's almost as if your conscience is seared with a branding iron. I started to draw some connections there with him. And then you continue in chapter 6, Um, and verse 3, or just before verse 3, for the paragraph begins. Teach and exhort people about these things. If anyone teaches differently and does not agree with the sound precepts of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and to the doctrine that is keeping in godliness, he is swollen with conceit and understands nothing Instead, he has a morbid desire for controversies and word battles, out of which come jealousy, dissension, insults, and evil suspicions, and constant wrangling among the people whose minds no longer function properly and who have been deprived of the truth, so that they imagine that religion is a road to riches. And at this point, I stopped, and I thought, you know, that does sound a lot like the leadership that we have. If their conscience has been seared... They love controversies and word battles, and there's a lot of jealousy and dissension and insults. You know, politics is a, uh, um, something I don't get into very much anymore just because it seems it's all everyone's so angry, and it's just insults being thrown back and forth and all these word battles. And many of them believe a religion is just a road to riches or a system that they don't want to have anything to do with. Unfortunately, that's the season of leadership that we have right now. But that's outside these walls. Inside these walls, we're given encouragement to be able to endure this. Continuing, it says, now true religion does bring great riches, but only to those who are content with what they have. For we have brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it so if we have food and clothing we will be satisfied with these furthermore those whose goal is to be rich fall into temptation and they get trapped in many foolish and harmful ambitions which plunge them into ruin and destruction for the love of money is the root of all evils because of this craving some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves yes to the heart with many pains But you, as a man of God, men and women of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. A lot of the qualities that the leadership's supposed to have, right? A judge, a king, the kohenim they're all supposed to be righteous, and godly, and faithful, and have love. All the same stuff. Fight the good fight of the faith, and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you testified so well to your faith before many witnesses. I charge you before God who gives life to all things and before the Messiah Yeshua, whom in his witness to Pontius Pilate gave the same good testimony to obey your commission spotlessly and irreproachably until our Lord Yeshua the Messiah appears. His appearing will be brought about in its own time by the blessed and sole sovereign who is king of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who dwells in an approachable light that no human being has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and uh, eternal power. Amen and amen to that.